It is so good to gather in the name of Christ and worship him. It's so good to see you, even though I don't know everyone's names. To have hugs and smiles. Some of you like not for me to know your name. You like to slip in late. You like to go early. Some of you like to come early and see all the people that you can see. It's just really good to be able to worship God with you today. You know, I've been around church my whole life. So I've seen a lot of things in church. I learned a lot of names in church. None higher, none better than the name of Christ. But uh, I've seen a lot of things, a lot of distracting things. So I want you to be thinking this morning. I want you to be uh, remembering what's the strangest distraction that's happened in a church service that you've been a part of. Now, I've, I've had some that are, you know, pretty simple. One time I was preaching away in this small, uh, small church, and, and I was just going at it, and here came a little girl straight up the aisle with her dollar bill, just right in the middle. Normally we had a children's offering in this church, but she was going to give her offering right then and there. So I paused, and I took her dollar bill, and I set it in the collection plate and went on preaching. Another time... Um, this was in a small white church, as in a white shoebox type church, not the people that were there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were right on the highway in this church, and so we'd have all kinds of visitors. Well, late into that service came a truck driver who'd seen our little white church, pulled off, and came in late. And he came and he sat on the front row, and as communion was going around, I think he was new to this game. He took the whole cracker. Well, the problem was, this is just one small church of 50 folks, and so the ushers were tapping me on the shoulder and saying, we ate the whole communion bread. <laughs> All right, now it's your turn. Those are just kind of silly ones, but I want to know about the strangest distraction that you've seen in a church. Who will tell me briefly one? Are you guys going to be quiet? There we go. All right, good. And remember, tell us your name. And then tell us the story. An earthquake. An earthquake in the middle of church. Where were you? In Guam. In Guam. Oh my. Somebody else. Help me out here. Oh good, Todd. Tell us your name. He can loud. talk loud. <laughs> so I was, I was teaching back in the old days in, in one of the areas out front. We also did some areas up and down the aisles in the church here on the inside, which was really not a very wise idea. <laughs> but if you remember Dr. Mrs. Beto, it was Dr. Beto was one of them. She walked into one, knocked it over on top of the plane, and then started going to the church. And somebody that came with Ann's family had to come and stop it out as I'm standing here. Nobody heard the boy oblivious of what's going on. So, yeah. yeah, we had some fire stories in first service, too. <laughs> Somebody else? We got one more? Oh, I don't think I can let Donna talk. <laughs> Two more? Okay, you're the last one. I don't think this is on, so just hold it for good measure. A long time ago, we were in a church, and it's 
older gentleman was seated in the stern I didn't see it. I didn't look. I just don't know what to think about her looking with his pants falling down. All right, you're going to have to stand up and just tell us. Yeah. Can you lean to the deckhand? Yes, right. Well, I think you can do it. I think I can do it. Okay. Plug Back home in Joplin, we were at church, middle of communion, and all of a sudden, someone's phone goes off playing the Imperial March. <laughs> And for those of you who don't know that, that's the music that plays when Darth Vader walks in. Dun, 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 dun. Right in the middle of communion. You might, you might should, Jimmy, can we do that for me before I get up to preach? Dun, dun, dun. Okay, well. So crazy things can happen in church. Strange things. Which is what we're going to be looking at today. We have used Mark as our our guide through the beginning ministry of Jesus. And we've let him teach us about how Jesus' ministry starts. And we've traveled here and there, but there have really been a lot of set changes so far in the Gospel of Mark. You know what I mean? Like, if this were a play in one chapter, the set crew has had to change things a lot. First, we have the voice of John the Baptist in the wilderness. Then we have Jesus in the Jordan River. Then we have Jesus driven back into the desert to be tempted. And then suddenly Jesus is beyond, beside the shore of Galilee calling people to him. And now, in this scene, we have him in a synagogue. If you'll open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning as we look at this unusual story Piece by piece by piece. We're going to read it very slowly today. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not like the scribes. All right, so it's a great day in church. It's in synagogue, which is not church. It's a little different. Synagogue was something of a new invention, several hundred years old at this point. Whenever the Jews had their temple destroyed and they're no longer able to worship in temple, something new had to emerge. And what emerged was a synagogue, a place of prayer, a place of the reading of scripture. And it was gathered around communities where there were at least 10 men, so 10 families that could attend and be a part of the synagogue. Well, this one is in Capernaum, which is right on the shore of Galilee. In fact, it's the local synagogue for the first few people that Jesus calls, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. This is their place. And they show up, and it's not uncommon for someone to see that another rabbi is in town and say, well, why don't you read scripture? Why don't you teach us? Which is what he does. And they're astounded. Because Jesus teaches with an authority unlike any that they've seen. Not like a typical scribe who's quibbling over words and 
quoting this rabbi and that rabbi. No, Jesus teaches with an authority that's innate. It's not quoting. It's a power that comes from Jesus. And they notice, and they are astounded at his teaching. Now, you can go and visit this synagogue. Now, it's not standing any longer. But in Capernaum, they've uncovered the foundation. There's another synagogue built on top of it with black rock all the way around. You can even see what they say is Peter's house. And there's a building and a structure built hovering over it where you can look down into Peter's house. So this real place that Jesus stands up to teach is a foundation that they probably were picking people's jaws up off of because of the kind of teaching that Jesus taught. Well, I wonder what he taught. Do we get that? Is there anything about what Jesus taught? No. I mean, I know that there weren't cell phones and you can't do a podcast or shoot a video, but come on. Does anyone not remember what Jesus said? Surely, with all those scribes, someone was taking notes somewhere. They don't get that. Not at all. Well, let's keep reading. Actually, one more thing before I read verse 23. I think we can know what Jesus taught because Mark's already told us. He's been teaching the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom has arrived and is here, right? That is the message that needs no further expansion and probably the message that Jesus is teaching. But still we're not told. So let's see what happens. Verse 23. Just then, here is an immediately word. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Wow. Now we've talked about some distractions. They've kind of been more on the cute side, with the exception of the fire. But this is a distraction, right? A man screaming out in church, confronting the one speaking. This is the kind of distraction where Everyone is fully attentive, but it is completely derailed, right? All at the same time, completely attentive to what's going on, but derailed from where things seem to have been going. Well, this kind of moment is one that takes your breath away. Someone screaming and yelling in a church today, you start to pull your loved ones close, you start to look for a gun. You start to wonder what's going to happen next, right? I mean, we're in a time where we're pretty well captive to fear. We're afraid of what next might go wrong. And that's the moment into which this man screams these questions. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? One question in rapid-fire succession after another question identifies Jesus' human name and where he's from, that he's from Nazareth. And there's something about this voice that feels threatened. 
as if the message has challenged this unclean spirit to scream out and yell at Jesus. Well, this spirit is threatened by the purpose of Jesus and screams out yet another question. Have you come to destroy us? There's something about the very presence of Jesus that causes evil to be afraid. The very power and authority of God manifest in Jesus stirs things up a bit and evil gets very uncomfortable. The collar gets hot and this spirit is afraid of its own destruction. This is dangerous territory for the spirit to be. But then things take a turn. Two questions, and then what seems like a confession. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Well, this sounds like this uh, demon is changing sides. This man is coming forward to the altar call and saying, well, yes, you are the Holy One of God. And if you look at what he says, everything's been accurate. Jesus, yep, from Nazareth, that's correct. Uh, holy one from God, yes. Uh, will he possibly be destroyed? Uh, yes, don't read ahead, but yes, that's going to happen. In fact, this guy checks out doctrinally, and he's in church, so to speak, on this holy day. But what happens next? Look in verse 24, 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, shut up, that's the Greek version, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Whole lot of screaming going on in this church service. Whole lot of yelling at this altar call moment. Jesus will not allow this to go on any further. Things change and the spirit flees. Now, if we're watching what's happening in the Gospel of Mark, it's interesting to me how Jesus gets identified. Because most of the ways that Jesus are identif is identified is from the past and from voices from beyond. You notice this? We get John the Baptist in the wilderness saying, one who comes after me is going to be greater. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. We have the voice of God saying, this is my son, the Beloved. And now we have this evil spirit saying, Jesus is the Holy One of God. That's strange how all of these authoritative voices from beyond and from the past show up. Mark kind of gave us a clue to this in the opening verse. In this play, he tells the whole story in verse 1. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Jesus is the king, he's the Christ or Messiah, he is the divine son of God, and Jesus embodies and proclaims this good news. Well, I still wonder what to make of this story. What do we do with this? What is trying to be communicated by this bizarre church distraction? I think what's happening is we're seeing a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes in his teaching and in his action, 
the kingdom of God is coming in great power. Now remember, they were astounded before anything happened. They were amazed at his teaching, having an authority that comes from not like the normal scribes. And then now when they see this, they're seeing that teaching and the power of the practical life joined together. And they're seeing the effects of Jesus' message. That is amazing. It's an amazing testimony to the reign of God coming near and what happens when the reign of God comes near. For the last several weeks, with the exception of last week, we've been tracking the words of Jesus as they appear in Mark. The first words of Jesus, he, we get his proclamation that this is the beginning of the good news of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe, or turn your life and trust this reign and rule of God in your life. That was something about what Jesus says. Two weeks ago, we got the second thing that Jesus says as he looks at people along the shore of Galilee and says, follow me and I will make you to fish for people. I will make you disciples. So we see something about what it is to be with Jesus, to be in the presence of Jesus. And here, the third thing that Jesus said, the third words out of Jesus' voice are shut up and come out of him. Where we get this overwhelming sense of the power of God and of Jesus in the world. The spectacular power of Jesus doesn't stop. I mean, we could flip through the scripture and see how he stills the waves and calms, calms the winds. We can see how he restores limbs and repairs vision and hearing. We can hear how diseases like leprosy go away. We see the power and authority of Jesus at every turn. And yet, this power is not just miraculous power, but it's a power that we all must confront. You see, there's an obstacle to the kingdom of God. There is a way where the kingdom of God will not come into life. And that obstacle is our own resistance. If you look at this man in church who's screaming out these confessions and identifying who Jesus is and saying everything accurately, it's very clear that he is not going to become a believer. It's very clear that this spirit is not going to call Jesus Lord and bow to him. And Jesus takes command of him and makes that spirit to flee. You see, when evil is confronted by Jesus, it has no other place to go but destruction, and to go away. This man thought that he knew Jesus, but he was not recognizing Jesus as Lord. Now, I think that's pretty important for me as a churchgoer to recognize, to realize that there's a lot of things that distract me from the rule of God in my own life. And sometimes even coming to church can confront what's evil within me because I fear the change that needs to take place in me that might cause a lot of screaming and a lot of convulsing of what needs to come out of my own life. 
You see, sometimes we get distracted as longtime followers of Jesus in simple, silly things like carpet color or pointing out other people's sins and forgetting that Jesus confronts the evil that is within us as individuals and within a group. There's more to following Jesus than simply knowing who he is and being able to identify him. There's more than getting the words right that Jesus is the Holy One of God. There is following that must take place, and there is a power that must come over us as we surrender our kingdom to the kingdom of God. It's quite clear in this third word from Jesus that evil has no power over Jesus. And it is quite appropriate for us to name evil and renounce it. And that happens in a lot of places. We are not uncomfortable with saying that disease and death and poverty are not God's intention. We can point to those things and call them evil and invite God into that moment. Right? I mean, we can pronounce the name of Jesus and pray for that kind of healing and that kind of forgiveness. Now, none of us is going to escape death. And we've all got stories of people who have been healed and people who have not been healed. In fact, today is the birthday, the 20th birthday, of my nephew who lived only to three months after two brain surgeries. So what do we do with that when we're able to say, that's not right, that is not what God wills, disease and death is not what God's after. Right? We can say that in confidence, and yet sometimes see healing and sometimes not. Well, the difficulty for us is not in pointing to the wrongness of evil. Right? The difficulty is not for us in pronouncing what God's will on any matter is. Right? It's clear. God wills life. God creates. God has intentions for us in this world and in the world to come. Jesus is one who his power shows up and evil flees. What God chooses to do with someone's story is up to God. How God turns even difficult things like diseases and death into good is up to God. We don't always understand it, and there's a lot of mystery in it. God will use all of those things, whether they're healing or a healing that doesn't happen, to bring people closer to him, to draw our attention to God, to live in the kingdom of God. Will evil remain? Yes, evil remains. Will poverty remain? Yes. Will students lack the kind of education that they need? Yes, sometimes. But does that keep us from saying that's wrong and we're going to work against it with all that is within us? Precisely. That's what we're about. Working with the kingdom of God to see that rain transpire over every corner, every nook and cranny of our life and in the world that we're a part of. I think God's preparing us. 
He's preparing us for our own death. Even Jesus did not escape death, but walked into it with abandon. Because he knew that God is not going to have the story finish with death or disease or any kind of difficulty. That God's kingdom arrives with power and with might. And we respond right here in this moment by recognizing that power, appointing to the authority of God in our own life. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to think that this life is all there is and that our personal comfort is all that matters. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by those who might be able to identify who Jesus is and call him the Holy One of God, but are not yet ready to lay down everything in front of God and let God take them on this eternal journey where God intends to take all of us. Let us be focused on the power of the kingdom of God, taking a grip on our lives where evil that is within us begins to scream out and flee because it can't stand being in the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. God, there's so much about this life that we do not understand. But we know that you are God. And we seek to follow you and to surrender our lives and our wants and wishes to you, whatever that looks like. Would you please surround us with your kingdom? Would you help us to know that this world is a safe place to be and that we have nothing to fear, even though the mountains begin to shake, even if there were an earthquake right now in this church service, we would have nothing to fear because we are with you, and you are our God, and you have eternity in your eyes. We pray this through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.